So welcome to the CT Startup Podcast, an insight perspective into the Connecticut startup ecosystem. This is Eric Francis from Fred Farm Aquatics. Dave Menard from Martha Kalina. Uh, special guest Oni from the Happiness Lab. And we are here with Bill Polifka of Voice Clans. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me in, guys. So today's going to be a, a fun uh, episode. We're at the uh, Happiness Lab once again. Mm-hmm. It's kind of... I think we've been here at Mirtha more more often than not, you know. Uh, so uh, so we're finally back after a little hiatus. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, how's everybody doing? We do have co-hosts dropping like flies. Um, Mike, <laughs> yeah. Mike Kaufman is out sick today. Um, so, but we have great Oni filling in. Uh, I, I believe we with Oni's voice, we're calling it late night loving with Oni. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The voice just made for radio. You don't want to have to look at them. Though. <laughs> so, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about Voice Glance? Sure. So, you know, Voice Glance, uh, we've kind of gone through an evolution over the last couple years. Uh, this has been a three-year project for us. Um, we started off as a software company. Uh, what we, Voice Glance is is an on-demand interviewing platform. And literally what happens is that candidates can call into an 800 telephone number Pre-recorded interviews are played back to the candidate, and the system will capture their responses. And two neat things really happen. They will get a audio file created by the system, but then that audio file is created into a text transcription. And <clears throat> once we have the text transcription, we can do all types of things with it. We can data mine the responses. Uh, we can start to visualize things that you just normally wouldn't see. Um, also, the nice thing about the platform is is that it really does set up a complete benchmark for the whole entire candidate pool. And like I said, we started off as a software company. Over the last 18 months, we've really transitioned into a full service offering. Um, I like to say that we're leveraging the platform internally now ourselves. And what we do today is, is we build candidate pools, we engage them through our process, and we present our findings to our customers. So we really work as a talent acquisition department for the organizations that we're working with. All right. So, so you said the um, the audio and stuff like that. Was that both to the candidate gets the audio and the employer gets the audio? So basically, this is a tool for hiring managers to do right. assessments of the candidates. And one of the challenges that many hiring managers have is the limited amount of time. Uh, if you look at most organizations, the amount of their ability to go out qualify every resume that they're touching. They just don't have the time, energy, or effort that they can put against something like that. And so a lot of us, what we would do in the hiring process is is we look at a resume as quickly as we can, look up a couple keywords. The problem is that with resumes, we really are limited. It's really response data or response information that candidates think we want to hear. But a lot of the time, what we're trying to do is get to that second order. We really want to know scenario-based stuff. We want to know, we want to ask deeper questions than what the resume usually will allow. So a lot of hiring managers will set up phone interviews. But the problem is, is they don't have enough time to set up phone interviews with every single resume. So in, in that process, we're really missing a lot of great talent. Um, and it could be 
or we're focusing on the wrong type of talent because yeah. some, there's two things that will happen inside of a resume. Um, you know, one, a person might not be a good person that writes good resumes. And so that doesn't mean they're a bad hire. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is that we've all come across this a little bit is that sometimes people take a little liberty inside of their resume. They're really good at writing. Resumes. They're really, really good at writing. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it might be a little bit misunderstood. And so sometimes when a candidate shows up, you know, the what is in front of us isn't necessarily what was on paper. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and there's definitely different levels of hiring. I mean, if we look at the pyramid of hiring, 70% of all companies have core hiring. These are your day-to-day -day tasks, key people, strategic hiring. <clears throat> you know, we treat a little bit differently. Uh, but, you know, when we're looking at entry level versus mid level versus senior level, there's definitely tactics that you want to use and leverage. And so, you know, by going into the full service, we can more control the quality of how we yeah. engage candidates through this type of automated platform. Nice, nice. So, yeah. And so you said that you've been going at it for three years and that certainly has changed over three years where you started and where you are now. What um, what things have changed about your approach to this market and why? Well, you know, David, I think there's a couple things, right? You know, when you, as an entrepreneur, you, you look at a marketplace, you identify a problem, you know, you have some idea of what it is, but, you know, having that flexibility and pivoting as you try to monetize it really becomes a necessity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> there was a lot of unknowns when we set up the Voice Plans platform. You know, would candidates take these interviews? How would companies feel about automating the process that was traditionally done by people? Um, does the reporting system work? Does the transcription system work? There was a lot of things we had to work through to get the platform up and running. But then once the platform's up and running, <clears throat> now we have to understand how do we make money using the platform? And, you know, initially our thought was, we're a software company, we're software guys, we built a platform, let's mm -hmm. sell it to companies. What we found out was is that as you start to align to companies' needs, there was challenges around that. You know, there was pre-existing. How do you budget into their budget cycle? Or how do you get into their budget cycles? How do you start to, you know, work on the process change for adoption of something? And this is radical thinking. Yeah. You know, HR departments, they typically would look at this as a role and function that a person has to do. The, the challenge with leveraging people is, is that they're the most expensive way to capture information, yeah. right? And so it really drives up the cost of doing engagement when you leverage people. And I think marketing departments have taught us that automation can be an effective way to gather the information that you want from target audiences. But like marketing, there's skill sets that you have to start to leverage around to start using automation. Because again, this is a very intimate thing. It's about people at the end of the day. Um, these are tools and technology really should be a tool that helps people do what they need to do. It shouldn't replace people. Um, but you know, when you are automating processes, you know, there is that inevitable bridge that you cross where, yes, you know, we have these talent acquisition people. This is what they've been doing. Do we need as many of them? So, you know, we, we ran into some of the friction in the marketplace around that. And like I said, there was definitely some challenges around budgeting. But <clears throat> when we looked at how companies actually were finding talent, there's a whole world out there around direct placement talent acquisition mm -hmm. firms. Uh, a lot of talent acquisition firms are charging pretty significant fees because 
them, just like the HR departments, they're using people too. And so a lot of the fee structure that talent acquisition firms are, 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 you know, having their customers pay can range anywhere from 18 to 30% of their, uh, of a person's annual income. So, yeah. you know, if you're looking at a hundred thousand dollar resource, you literally could be paying 18,000 to $30,000 oh, yeah. for that one single placement. Mm-hmm. Our goal really was is how do we take our software and become a lean manufacturer, really start to try to bend the cost curve so that we can, you know, offer, you know, a, a great service, give, and we really try to strive for three things, cheaper, better, faster, right? And that's a three good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, Eric, it's a really hard thing to promise to people, right? Because it's an ugly triangle. And if I look at that triangle, usually one of them will counter the other. So yeah. to get cheaper, Usually, it could take longer, or it won't be better. Quality yeah. suffers. There was there was a saying early on, and uh, I captured early on in my career. I'm sure they stole it from other people, but uh, you know, it, when it, when I was a junior associate in a law firm, senior lawyers would say, you know, you can have it, you know, you can have it done cheap, you can have it done fast, you can have it done right. Now, pick two out of the three. Right. Yeah. But but with our goal, what we really were trying to do is is pro- you know make this promise that we could do it cheaper, better, faster, mm-hmm. and you know the platform really is the enabler to doing that. And so, you know, with the software, we don't have to leverage as much cost associated to the engagement. Uh, we can automate some of that, but we still have to wrap people around it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, where it comes, you know, so that helps us drive the cost down. But the better part is really we are you know, gathering all the right information. You know, we're gathering really important information that hiring managers really make decisions on. Um, And then having the reporting ability, the filtering ability, that accelerates the process. Um, And then that faster really comes through our engagement strategies. You know, our system, the nice thing about the voice clients platform is that it doesn't sleep. Candidates can call into it at any time they want. Uh, you know, there was some surprising findings that we actually had. You know, we thought that most candidates would be calling late at night. What we find is, is that a majority of candidates actually call first thing in the morning time. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of get that just because yeah. you don't sleep on it. You you know what they're going to ask. Sleep on it. Just wake up and just hit it. Yeah, you know? yeah. When your mind's fresh, like yeah. And, and, and <laughs> you know, you start thinking all these things that were going to happen. And what we found is, is there's a lot of flex. You know, people are taking these things during lunch breaks. And you know, our interview process <clears throat> typically tends to have anywhere from 10 to 12 questions, you know, and those questions usually will take a candidate anywhere from, you know, 10 minutes to 15 minutes to actually run through an answer, you know, and the process is from, from the candidate standpoint is actually pretty thin. You know, they're not coming in, they're not having to take a half a day of work off. They basically can give the information and, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, be back doing whatever they need to be doing. So one of the things I thought was fascinating about your company was that we've, we've interviewed quite a few software companies. And it's, it's always, as you're described, as you originally described it, which is we build the platform, sell the platform. And that's it. But your company, in the way it's matured, has developed not only a platform, but a human element. Because as you've gone through it, it sounds like the human resources people didn't want to be always the ones to analyze what came out of the platform. Um, and so having to deliver both a software and a human element, how has that created any challenges for you? 
Well, you know, any time that you start to blend a whole process together, there's definitely challenges, right? You know, um, and really the challenge becomes how do you have the quality assurances, right? You know, how do you teach what you, you're, you're looking to do? Um, also, there's challenges around how do you start to scale this, you know? And so also, what is the real, really the right type of worker? to do this type of work. And again, if you look at what our company's trying to accomplish, we're really trying to be very disruptive around cost. You know, we're looking at being what we would call a recruit process outsourcing company that is really leveraging a very proprietary technology, but wrapping all of the right people process, the licensing. And there's really three things that we have to be good at. You know, we have to be good at sourcing a candidate pool. We have to be good at engaging that candidate pool. And then we have to be really good at um, presenting our findings to our customer base so that understand what's going on. Now, each customer is going to interact with the data differently. They're going to want to be talked to differently. And so how do you build the right skill sets to do all those three things? Um, it's like anything. you got to put a lot of time, energy, and effort. you got to start to build training programs. you got to start to try to standardize it to help with the quality assurances that kind of happen as you start to take on more of this type of work. Tell me a little more about your customers. I feel like to have such an innovative platform, especially for HR, I mean, for the Happiness Lab and the Happy Life, we focus so much on our internal culture. So for a customer to say, I want to try out this innovative new model to get some top quality hires, can you kind of speak to like who they are and what they're doing and how they can got that mentality? Yeah. So, you know, I think the neat thing about interviewing and the process of interviewing is it doesn't matter if you're a small company, a medium-sized company, or a large company. The process doesn't necessarily change, you know? And so at the end of the day, you still have to find somebody. You still got to be able to talk to them and understand what's, what skills... And we try to baseline a couple things, you know, we really feel that baselining off of this triangle of, you know, does the person want to work for you? Are they going to fit culturally with you? And do they have the skills to do the job that you need them to do is really what you want to try to get to. And so by creating a structured interview and engaging everybody the same way, it really does help us to start to see the nuances that happen inside of a candidate pool. Um, and so, you know, a lot, but there, each position that you're looking to fill, you're going to have to ask different questions, right? So, you know, if I'm looking for a great salesperson, I'm not going to ask them the same questions that I'm going to ask somebody that's going to be in the marketing department. I'm not going to ask somebody the same questions if they're a .NET developer as I'm going to ask a salesperson. Mm -hmm. And so you really got to personalize this. And we like attributes. Attributes are a nice, clean way to start to frame up and baseline what's happening inside of that candidate pool. And one of the unique things that we've done inside of the platform is really oriented around creating that structured interview, but labeling each structured interview question with its own attribute. And so as we start to kind of engage in this, we're kind of framing what works, what doesn't work, and really being able to quickly identify that attribute and to look for the success or, you know, more not, what isn't going to work. Because, you know, a lot of the time we want to try to build diversity. So, but you asked about kind of like, how do people start to do this? You know, we have to kind of understand what the vision of the company is. What is the goal of the company? We have to understand really kind of how this job fits structurally inside of the organization. 
And so, you know, even even these little things around fact-finding, we've had to build processes to, around to kind of make sure that we understand all these things. And the other big trick, too, is understanding how to market to candidates. You know, I think, you know, if you're working for a big Fortune 500 company, you know, if I turn around to, to a lot of my friends and say, hey, Google, you want to go work at Google? Most people would say, yeah, you know, if I think I can make a good fit. Um, you know, but when I start working with smaller, medium-sized companies, you know, the challenge is, is I say, you want to go work for X company and you've never heard of it. Yeah. All of a sudden you have this challenge of, you know, is it a good place? Is this going to be a good career move? Yeah. But I look at the market and I say, you know, 60% of all job creation happens in companies with 10 or less employees, mm -hmm. you know, and these small companies usually are, are cash strapped. And, you know, for them to go out and hire talent acquisition teams at the pricing models, they We're typically can't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by creating a lean process, by doing this engagement model where we're leveraging automation, we're actually able to bend that cost curve and even start to support these smaller organizations mm -hmm. and bring in expertise that maybe they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we do have a little bit of our consulting in the sense of how we engage with our customers, especially our small and medium-sized customers. Mm -hmm. Our larger customers, we're tending to um, just understand the job descriptions, really kind of understand what the interview structure needs to be. And then we go mm -hmm. out and uh, we start building the pool and qualifying it. So do know? they actually do, I assume this is the first step in the process. They actually do, you know, end up meeting the hiring manager and all that kind of stuff. Or, and and, and I, would, I say this because it would be easy to have the exact same question because in a hiring scenario, you don't actually ask the exact same question in the exact same way. So there's, you know, that, that kind of feedback. So I'd assume that it does simplify the first, you know, X amount of questions. Because at, at the end of the day, when you're meeting the manager, it's more or less, do, you know, do we like each other? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, well, you know, I think, right. you know, in the traditional way of engaging candidates, you know, and I've had this happen to myself, you know, we start talking about things and 45 minutes later, I realize, oh my gosh, I only have 15 minutes and now I really got to kind of figure mm -hmm. out, is this going to be a good person? Because mm -hmm. we've been talking about stuff that we shouldn't have been talking about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in our process, there's definitely a handoff that has to occur, you know, and what's nice is, is that our system is generating a report, very visual report also with the text transcriptions. And, you know, we're, we're tracking soft metrics, hard metrics, and some other things that you typically wouldn't get in the interview process to kind of do that baseline assessment. But then at some point, we got to present that candidate and we have to kind of get them talking more to the actual hiring team. And so, but usually what we want to do is, is the average candidate pool for a single position might have, you know, 15 to 20 candidates. The hiring manager, again, can't spend time with all of those yeah. candidates. What this is, is really kind of our fish finder. It allows us to say, okay, this candidate's good for these X, Y reasons. It's not just based on my gut feel or reading the resume. I actually have real response data to questions that are really important to me. And I'm now able to say with confidence that, you know, this person I really should spend more time with. And our team, what our, we, we have our internal, we call them team coordinators. Um, because again, there, there's some subtle differences between how our to team coordinators work to a recruiter. But at the end of the day, when they're presenting the findings, they'll help set meetings and kind of work on that transition to the next team so that the hiring managers can start to engage people. You know, but they're doing it with a lot less, is my yeah. point. So, so let's talk about um, some 
you know, sort of Connecticut issues or, or, or issues generally. Well, one of the biggest problems I'm, I'm hearing from Connecticut companies these days is lack of uh, software people, right? There's just there's just a general lack of software development people in Connecticut. Some there are there are groups out there trying to fix this. I mean, the, the universities are trying to turn out good developers. The there's A100, which is located here in New Haven, run by Derek Koch, and Derek is does a great job of Amazing hooking job. up companies yeah, with software guys. Where did you develop your software? Did you have to go to? Did you go? Did you have to go to India? Did you find somebody local? Is it somebody you hired? Yeah. So I mean, we have a we're kind of a unique company because we have a a larger IT firm behind our company as well too. Mm -hmm. So we're not your traditional startup in the sense. I mean, we've treated the voice glance company as its own entity, but we've had internal developers working on a team for multiple years now and. Uh, we leveraged our internal resources of the other mm -hmm. company to to build the voice glance platform. Um, but, you know, that, I mean, the world that we live in, there today in the IT sector, there tends to be a mix of onshore and offshore resources. We do have an on, offshore component to our other business. And, and so, but, you know, we blend the two teams together mm -hmm. because ultimately it's really about the project and what the ultimate business goal is and what the problem we're trying to solve. And, you know, we take from there and say, all right, how do we build it? You know, who is going to be appropriate build the team structure? So, so when you're using an offshore element and you're assessing it, how, how do you do that? What makes you decide that one offshore developer is going to be trustworthy and good for you and not another? Sure. Just the same way that you would interview an onshore resource. I mean, mm -hmm. there's an interview process. You know, you're looking for those three main elements. You know, do people want to work for you? Are they going to fit culturally with you? And do they have the skill set? Skill set tends to be the easiest thing to assess. Mm -hmm. Either you have it or you don't. But really, the the two softer met the two softer areas of focus that we try to really stay focused on in the interviewing process is the soft skills. You know, and how well are they going to fit with us? Um, and that because again, if you if a person doesn't fit well with you, they're they're leaving, or you're going to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if and and if the person doesn't want to be there, they're going to leave on their own too, or you're going to find a reason. It'll be clear that yeah. they don't work well with you, and you find a reason to mm -hmm. kind of make a career change. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I guess for small companies, like what is the so I'm just thinking like. In this, with the startups in Connecticut, not only is it like the tech talent, but it's just talent in general. Because like, you know, I know for us, like we're looking for very specific types of people who have certain interests and everything. So it's like, how do you narrow down, especially for smaller companies, narrow down to like that person? Well, that that's I think where the the uh, screening process really, you know. So again, one, you have to be able to build a candidate pool, right? So that that if you can't build a candidate pool, then you're never going to find a worker, yeah. right? And so. To, to build a candidate pool, there's a couple things that you have to start becoming good at. You have to become a good marketer, right? You got to be able to understand what, what your company does, how it positions in the marketplace. You want to tell people really, you know, what the future vision is. You know, one of the things that tends to be missing in a workforce today is, you know, the passion level of an organization. What we find is, is that when people just take a job for a job, that's not necessarily good organizationally. But if we can align people's desires and wants and where they want to be a little bit better and get them passionate about the organizations that they're working with, ultimately, they're going to be a better worker. Um, so, but a lot of that is around marketing. So how do you start to draw that so that a candidate can understand what your vision is, who you are, how you solve market problems? And so 
in our gathering of information early on, we really want to make sure we understand a lot of those moving elements and, um, and then market them, you know, go out and do events, do the traditional marketing, build relationships in the community. But then the world has changed, you know, 20, 30 years. I mean, we now have digitized, you know, the internet has become democratized as well too, and it's changing the game. So, you know, when my father would look for a job, he would take out his resume, print it out, put a stamp on an envelope and mail it to the company. Today, that's not the case. We go to career portals. We go out to company websites and we check out their, their career portal. Um, there's things like LinkedIn and where other sites where people are creating profiles and promoting themselves. And, and so leveraging the digital world is really kind of a big key. And, you know, being able to identify resources is ultimately what we're trying to do. So, you know, we want to have that digital world where we're marketing on the job boards, but we also want to be passively building candidate pools mm-hmm. through looking at profiles. And, and, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do, too, is build our own talent network. So every resume that we're capturing, every person we're talking to, every screen candidate in the, you know, the reports that are being generated, we maintain that database. And we can go back into that database, look at profiles, start looking at attributes, really start driving down to trying to play matchmaker, right? You know, knowing what the client needs, knowing what we have on file. And ultimately what that will do is it will drive down your cost per application. And so, you know, as a small business, that's a real challenge. Many of the the smaller, medium-sized businesses we work with, they really struggle around building a candidate pool. And a lot of it really is around that brand identity and, you know, why would I want to go work there? Who are these guys again? Yeah, exactly. I think like one thing I want to touch on briefly is, you know, you talk about build, building a candidate pool. And I know for a lot of startups, startups in Connecticut specifically, they want to hire the top young, cool talent, you know, to kind of get in, get in here, whether it's Harvard, whether it's New Haven, whether it's Stanford, and be, you know, a multi-hyphenated partner or builder on the team. Um, how do you, I think just a general question, there's a lot of brain drain happening in Connecticut right now. Sure. So as like a recruiter or in the tele-acquisition field, how do you feel that either Connecticut or startups in Connecticut can position themselves to take some of this talent and have them come to the Hartford New Haven area? And again, you know, not that marketing solves everything, but I think allowing candidates to be able to self-identify mm-hmm. is a real big challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, yesterday I was in a meeting and we have about 9,000 manufacturers here in the state of Connecticut. You know, we have a lot of high-tech manufacturing jobs that are open and vacant right now. And a lot of it really is around people don't realize what's in our own backyard. Yeah. You know, a lot of these companies are 500 employee or under companies, you know, they're supply chain vendors for the UTCs of the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so people being able to identify these organizations tend to not happen as quickly. You know, people know UTC, yeah. but, you know, one of the interesting things about things like UTC is, is that, you know, 20 years ago, 80% of their jobs, if they looked at their whole supply chain, 
were internally at UTC. Today, those numbers have flip-flopped. So, you know, Hmm. 20% of the real employment to getting their product built tends to be inside of the four walls of the organization. But 80% of the real jobs to get the product built is outsourced outside in their supply chain. So, you know, again, but being able to identify those opportunities become very, very difficult. And also, you know, there are differences depending on role and function. You know, if I look at the IT sector right now, you know, IT tends to be a fully employed sector. You know, finding developers, like you said, is a real challenge. Uh, but what's happening is, is there are just less of them available because they're being soaked up by companies. And so how you find them, how you identify them, how quickly you do that really will affect your ability to hire those people as well, too. Mm-hmm. So and if I look again at the average candidate pool, you know, we might take and build a candidate pool of 20 people for one vertical. But in the IT sector, you know, we might only be able to build six. So again, you know, that speed, how many, but that's going to be elastic because of the supply and demand and what's available. Um, also, you know, I think there are challenges, especially like in the IT sector. You know, what we, Career Builder recently has done a lot of study work around this and tech resources like to be centralized in hubs. They like to be in major metropolitan areas. You know, in Connecticut, we're sandwiched kind of between the two major metropolitans. Yeah. But, you know, you got to take what you have and you got to kind of market it and make it, you know, help the candidate pool be able to identify the job opportunities. And so, again, how you reach out to them, how quickly you engage them, those all will impact your ability to find people. Now, do you have, so um, you're obviously based in Connecticut, so a lot of your clients, are they in Connecticut? Are they all over the country? I mean... Yeah, our our footprint our, our footprint has expanded. Um, you know, we really are starting to go at a national level and focusing across the country. We tend to be U.S. based. Um, we do have a couple of customers that have international presence, um, but you know, the Voice Glance platform is set up on an eight hundred number. What tends to work only in the U.S. and so, um, and right now there's plenty of work for us here in the U.S. markets. So, you know, you can kind of move out. Yeah, not not today. You know, again, being a a, a younger company, mm-hmm. you know, having a, a regional focus. Also, you know, there are benefits. You know, having the ability to have our database and having a centralized profile and being able to reuse some of that that brings value back to our Connecticut based, New Jersey based, New York based, Massachusetts based customers and stuff like that. So, where do you see your industry going now that you're at the point that you're in the talent acquisition industry, traditionally based on headhunters and and so on, at the level of competition you're talking about, are, do you, are you going to see more competitors developing software platforms similar to yours, or do you think there's going to remain the traditional industry? Yeah, I mean, you, you can see that people are trying to figure out new ways to engage candidates. Um, you know, there are profiling systems out there and lead scoring systems. I think what really ultimately it is going to happen is, is that if we really want to engage a full candidate pool, and we really want to understand what's happening. It we have to start leveraging technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are on-demand interviewing platforms. I think they're that are out in the marketplace. Um, I think some of them there are nuances and differences. I think one of the things that gives us a really big competitive advantage is our ability to create a text transcription. Um, creating a text transcription is not an easy thing. But once we have that baseline data and it's accurate and putting the artificial intelligence and the filtering tools mm-hmm. and the BI reporting systems around it, 
um, is a lot different than just watching somebody talk or listening to somebody repeat an interview and listening to it in real time. Um, mm -hmm. Once I have that text transcription, I can accelerate the processes a lot more, right? I can look up keywords. I can filter out things. I can start to reorganize the candidate pool based off of requirements or how I'm feeling about something and, mm -hmm. and really start to make sense of the information gathered a lot quicker. And so, you know, again, this is real. Could other people do it? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a, a threat for any company, but, you know, we have some proprietary things that just traditionally haven't been in the marketplace yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think again, that text transcription is a real big key advantage to what we have versus a lot of other people out in the marketplace. So when it comes to like the, the you know, these candidates, right? So I'm no uh, economist or anything like that, but like the, from what I understand, the actual unemployment numbers is not really the, the real number because there's the a bunch of people, right? yeah, yeah, there's so many people that are just don't, that give up, right? So I know, I know personally that personally, I, my resume never got me hired, right? It was when I was in, in, in the office. However, there are a lot of people who, it, you know, get very nervous about going in and everything. So I guess the question is that, are you able to, cause now you can call in, it's, you're, you're no pressure, you're just saying it. Are you seeing more people are more confident in their answers and then that's getting them through? Because again, if you, if you haven't had a job for a year, you, I mean, honestly, you don't have a job for a year in many markets now, you're behind the eight ball. So if you even get, you, you try to get that one interview, I mean, it's, it's hard. So sure. You know, and I think there's a couple kind of thoughts kind of in that type of question, right? So, you know, let, let's address kind of the, the fallout rate. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think part of the re, the challenge people have and what is being able to self-identify opportunities. Also, it's that matchmaking, you know, like you said, your resume didn't get you where you wanted to go. Right. And I have to tell you, as a hiring manager, many times I would look at a resume and it wouldn't give me the information I needed. Right. And so that's really where we struggle in the interviewing process. In a lot of ways, the resume is a kind of, it's a good tool, historical. And I'll give you a good example. Recently, I was talking to one of our candidates. Um, she was a HR veteran, 20 years plus in, in the industry, had a phenomenal resume. I mean, said all the right things. Uh, and, you know, but the first question I asked her was, you know, do you like HR? And she said, absolutely not. <laughs> the second question was I asked was, is, well, what do you want to do? And she goes, you know, I really want to work for a nonprofit in a marketing role. <laughs> and so I said, well, why are we talking? Right? <laughs> you know, if you want to do something like that. And her response was very similar to yours. Any time I've ever given my resume to somebody, um, they've never given me a chance. And I have to tell you, it wasn't that this person was not capable of doing working in a nonprofit. It wasn't that they didn't have great skills that would have been transferable. But on paper, you know, for a hiring manager to look at her, it was very risky. But if they asked deeper questions about tell me how you handled this or tell me, you know, if you were given these type of challenges, I I 95% confident that she would have had great responses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, so one of the things I said to her is, is, you know, really, I don't think you want to work with us. I really think maybe you want to start looking at these other opportunities. What we ended up finding, we were working with a nonprofit. She was one of the first candidates we called up and said, hey, listen, we have a nonprofit experience for you. I'll give you a shot. And I got to tell you, she did phenomenal. It, I don't know if it actually worked out. I'm not really, I think they're still in the evaluation mm -hmm. process. Yeah. But, you know, she had a different flavor, a different tone. She mm -hmm. was able to present herself very differently 
by the questions that were asked inside of the interview. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell you, it was a lot, I, a lot better presentation than the resume. Yeah. When I think of startups, um, whether technical or not technical, and when I think of talent acquisition, the first thing that comes to mind is a lack of diversity. Right. Um, and I think it's interesting, kind of, one thing I like about your system, it, it takes away that bias immediately. You know, you have someone who's on the phone 9 a.m. and they're in their PJs with a, a tie on, you know, on top. You gotta, <laughs> you know, present yourself right way, even if you're by yourself. Right. Um, and, and they're confident the answers. You don't have the initial, um, kind of, the initial inflection to say, okay, well, because of X, this, that, and the third, I don't want you on my team and not, not a good culture fit. Well, you know what I think our system allows you to do? It allows you to take risks on people that you traditionally wouldn't take risks on, mm-hmm. right? Because now you have more information and you didn't have to spend a lot of time gathering the information because the, the big problem is the time, right? Mm-hmm. Going back to hiring managers, they're, they're not just working on finding that next great hire. They got a lot of other things they have to do. They got to create plans. They got to make sure problems are being fixed. They got to work with other team members. You know, hiring typically for a hiring manager is done as a side of a coffee table conversation, right? They get a couple resumes. They're like, Oh my gosh, here they are. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Call that guy. You know, and most of them only have enough time to really do three or four phone calls, you know, and maybe bring in two people, maybe three people because they got to keep doing their job. Um, but, you know, and again, I think that's, you know, taking the risk and taking in getting that opportunity to have a different voice is really, really powerful. Okay, and that really kind of makes us a very different type of recruiting firm. Because again, you know, we're not just going to hand you a resume and say, you know, you should talk to this person. We're going to give you the facts. We're going to give you information that you normally would have to go out and do yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, are there certain, like, I mean, do they know, like, name, age, rank, you know, you know race, you know, yeah. gender, the whole thing before they, when they're going over the data initially? Or? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have a couple different layers of data. So, you know, we're capturing the response data. We have the attributions. We put a score against each question and how they did against that. We give a dashboard for the whole entire candidate pool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we do supply the resume as well, too. And it becomes an augmented profile. You still have to do. Well, I'll tell you one of the. Can't get around it. Well, here's one of the funny things, Eric, is that you know when we first started to adopt the full service model, what we realized because people have been trained to use the resume, right? And it is good to have that historical look, right? Um, It does give you partial picture, but you know it. Like I said, it only gives you a partial picture. Um, But when you mirror the two together, you really can start to see if there's discrepancies or you can really start to see, okay, I get this and I see that and your confidence levels go up. Um, So really, you know, mirroring the two things together is really, really powerful. Um, But then when you get on the phone, too, you can confirm everything that you've gathered as well, too. So, again, you got to have the full process. as well, let's take it outside of the company for the moment. You're a you're a tech guy. You uh, you enjoy what you do. You you enjoy gadgets and such. What's out there that's interesting to you these days? Oh my gosh! You know, the, I have to tell you, I'm really really fascinated right now with the <coughs> artificial intelligence. Oh stuff. yeah, let's talk about that. You know, <laughs> it's. I think we're in a really interesting time. I think if you if I look at the industrial revolution. Uh, 
what happened in the industrial age versus what's happening with the information age. I kind of think we're on the cuspus of a new age. Um, I really kind of feel like we're moving more into a creative age. And, you know, I'm seeing things around automation. I'm seeing things around artificial intelligence. Um, The world has figured out a little bit and we've moved into the big data. But, you know, people are not really good at making sense of the big data, but computers and the artificial intelligence are helping people make sense of this stuff. And um, I was reading a great article the other day that it, it was clickbait. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was talking about how artificial intelligence is going to essentially determine our next several generations because you have, even at a lower level, algorithms like match.com, right? Oh, yeah. That are going to say, okay, this person going to get matched up with this person. It's a high success rate. And then therefore this computer is saying, okay, this is going to be your spouse. This kids that you're going to have. So it's, it's funny how even subtly it's already so interwoven into oh, our day to day lives. It's happening in your and how you consume entertainment. Yeah. It's yeah. happening yeah. on your purchasing yeah. patterns. It, it, it's algorithms yeah. govern everything, everything that we're doing. And, and it's getting more advanced. I, I find I'm personally fascinated by autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. Right. I just, I Percy, I love driving a car. I always buy a car with a stick shift. I, yes. you know, and, and I'm going to be one of those people screaming when they drag me out of my, my, my self-controlled car yeah. and I have to get in line with everybody else on the autonomous vehicle. When, when the insurance can be too high for you to drive. That, 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 that's right. Well, and in fact, the autonomous vehicles will cause less traffic because everything will run more smoothly yeah. and it'll be a better driver than I could ever be. But but I find it fascinating. They've already got trucks that carry, you know, that carry freight that are on the highway that that are autonomous. Level one. I mean, the guy's yeah. sitting in the seat, but he's doing nothing. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it is really neat to see how we're automating our world around us. Um, you know, I think what this is really going to start to do is to free up capacity for a new era of, mm. of work and thinking and playing mm. and and just kind of how our world interacts around us. Mm. Um, a lot of jobs are going to go away, but again, it's like one of those things where it's, you know, with, with Henry Ford and the, and the horse buggy guys, yeah. it's, like, it's like they didn't want cars because they think, you know, all the jobs are going to go away. But, 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 you know, the jobs go away, but it they doesn't, get they get replaced. Yeah. You know, we come up with something new. I mean, people, when you give idle time, it's amazing what a person Absolutely. will do with idle time. Yeah. You know, it, that's really where innovation comes it, from. So I'm excited about it. Well, it is. And, and the way we're interacting with the world is changing. I, this is, I I think 2016 is the year of virtual reality. Yeah. We, we have uh, a number of new VR goggles that are for the first time marketed directly to the mass market. Yeah. And they're not cheap. I mean, what, I think uh, Oculus Rift is at like 700. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the HTC Vive, which, Vive mm-hmm. which is supposed to be like really an excellent experience. Well, um, even to GoPro and doubling up the GoPros and the 3D yeah. imaging that yeah, they're creating. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I was watching a YouTube video and, I, and all of a sudden they're like, do you have your 3D glasses? And I'm yeah. like, what is this? <laughs> like, Hold on. <laughs> like, like Google Cardboard, you know what I mean? Like just a, a $15 piece of cardboard you put inside like the same like a note or something. And yeah. It's, it's amazing. I used that for the first time, I think two or three weeks ago, and I understood the the importance of virtual reality. Now, now imagine that with with two like with two screens, one for each eye, That's each at 1080p or yeah. higher, and processors for it all. It's, I mean, I, honestly, the experience is a little bit daunting for me. Mm-hmm. Like I had the idea of actually wearing one of these things, but but they're so they they made so many changes. They're so exciting and so cool. And 
and it's not just going to end there. Like the idea of applying these things to video games is just how it gets into the market, but well, it's going to be everywhere. It doesn't just happen at the video game level. It's happening in the education level, yeah, you yeah. know, or so medical sciences. You're looking there. at yeah. medical science. Yeah. You're even looking at manufacturing and how you're like oh, training people, training how to people work. how yeah. to work. Yeah. And, you know, I actually ran across this really neat company. Um, they're using it for paint training you know, on automotive industry. Really? And, and think about this, you know, so they have this virtual reality, they put the car out there and it's all about the brush stroke. And so they recreate that ability for you to see where you're painting. But think about the reset time. Think about like the cost associated to mm. getting a car and painting the car and then having yeah. the, yeah. you know, all that all of a sudden is now disappearing and they're actually able to teach this skill set and then have a quick restart and, a re you know, so yeah. it's just... I think we're on a tip of the iceberg on a, a lot of really neat things. So, so, so I, I assume you're you're not you don't agree with uh, Elon Musk in the sense that we have to be very very weary about AI taking us over or, or Stephen Hawking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to tell you, I mean, there comes responsibility, right? Yeah. You know, and you, you, if you're not talking about the ethics and the responsibility of some of this stuff, then you're you're not doing it full justice. Have you guys seen Ex Machina? Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. I almost slipped my couch after watching that movie. And then they made a lot of sense. You know, you are dealing with artificial intelligence and that they don't. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Oh, it's, it's been out long enough. You know, it's it's yeah, yeah, I know yeah. I didn't see it. Oh, I actually I, have it in my queue, but I won't hold it. it. I have that. Uh, well, so. It's a good one. If you haven't seen it, Oni had problems. Yeah. And that is reason alone <laughs> yes, to take a look yes. at it. You know, another area that I really find fascinating, and you know, speaking of Elon Musk, it is really kind of what we're doing in the space frontier. Yeah. You know, and I, sometimes I wonder of, you know, does this bring on new things like a new industrial age yeah. and, you know, what happens to our resource bases and, you know, sure. I, I like, and I'm really fascinated too on what's kind of happening environmentally right now. You know, I'm looking, you know, here in Connecticut, uh, somebody said, I think, uh, it's going to be 50 degrees next week in, yeah. Or, yeah. in January. Um, yeah. you know, so I, I, the week I'm, after it's going to be, you know, zero. So <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'm wondering about these things, climate, and our change. Re climate change, our resources, how we're consuming our resources. Um, you know, do we need to be more responsible around yeah. some of this stuff? And I think the space race, I mean, obviously some of the stuff that, you know, you're talking about Peter D. Mendez, you're talking about, you know, uh, Elon Musk, uh, uh, Branson, all Branson. stuff like they're, they're talking about mining asteroids and it's like that technology is not there. Like, like you, I mean, I believe the, the, um, we just, a federal law just got put in a place that you can now mine yes. asteroids. So they're saying, yes, you can actually go mine an asteroid, which again, how do we set a law that, to do yeah. that well, one way? No, but that's amazing. Do you own that property? Yeah. Well, like, you know, it's like, but it's amazing that we're legislating these things because we believe that we're going to do it. Yeah. And, and, well, that's the thing is that it's, it's almost it's almost getting to the point where you almost need to have one of those Kennedy moments like we're going to the moon. So it's right. like everybody hop on. So it's like because you have to have these younger kids who are just, yeah, we I'm going to do that in 30 years. Well, there's a reality happen. show, right, about this? And I mean, the, the oh, the Mars, Mars one. Mars. Oh, I think yeah. that all crashed and burned. Did it? Um, <laughs> see, I'm not, I've been really busy lately with the company. So maybe a little out of touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I think, though, is, I mean, you, uh, so Ray Kurzweil just came out with his new predictions, right, for the next, like, 20 years or whatever. And so those kind of, I mean, if you look back in the last 20 years, his predictions were generally right, you know, kind of, you know, towards it. he's saying by 2030, we're going to have the nanobots in our blood, 
you know, being able to fix stuff. You're going to have, you know, cars by driving the. I can't wait for that. But but it's like one of those things where it's like, honestly, I can still remember the day. I mean, I'm only 27, but I can still remember the day where I didn't have internet in my house and I didn't, you know, didn't have a cell phone and it wasn't readily available and I've already seen it. So some of the kids that are growing up now, it's it's kind of like they're already, they're they're being told from a young age, it's happening. I have a son. He's going to be seven. And the way he interacts with technology is yeah. amazing. Uh, they're incredible. I, yeah. I had my, I had my niece and nephew over for New Year's and I put them in front of PS4, which they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. They never played a video game before and stuff like that. And they just took to it like a fish to water. Oh, I mean, yeah. they, they were playing and, and like within two hours, I couldn't beat them at anything. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just, yeah. it was disturbing. There was, there was a moment at, at uh, over Christmas, you know, cause now uh, all my cousins and stuff are having kids and my, my sisters have a kid. And, and so the, uh, there's two babies in the, uh, in the playpen they're you know what you know six months old seven months old and uh one of my cousin's sons was running around he's he's three i think and like you know he gets the phone a lot like it's one of those things like you know just like go use the phone or go yeah. use it and i had kind of thing and he's always on it so everybody else is, is always like oh it's troublesome it's troublesome however the, the cutest moment happened was that he was kind of running around with the phone in his hand like Christmas. There are two, there the two other kids, his younger brother in the playpen, and he just comes over literally in the middle of it, and then he looks up, sees him, switches over to camera, and starts taking pictures. And I'm just like, this kid's three years oh, old. Wow. And all of us are like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> but you know, I think you bring up some interesting things. You know, and as a parent trying to raise a, a soon-to-be seven-year-old, I, I worry about some of this stuff. You know, and I really worry about like the balance of how do you. Yeah. How much technology is good, and how much do you really just need to kind of go outside and play and do yeah. some other things as well? Too. Well, too much technology, and I'm afraid like Eric's three year old nephew is going to like create Skynet. So we're going to like like that's but at the same time, like he could be a good program. He's already done this. Like just it's it really is uh, really is crazy. I want to get back to the whole uh, nanobots in the blood thing. This, <laughs> To me, this is, you know, because they are trying these things. And the idea of being able to just eat a cheeseburger and have the nanobots take care of it. Yeah. That seems like that's like that's like the ultimate dream. Yeah, yeah. it's also like the GI Joe movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like take over people. Yeah. yeah, healthcare technology, the advancements coming in that alone. I mean, it's it's amazing. You know? I mean, I'm, I already treat my body like crap. You know, so like I just have like millions more reasons with the nanobots in my blood to do this. We're only in our twenties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the time we're thirty, forty. Hey, hey, hey! Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm I'm already at the age where all the crap is. Catching up to me. I mean, the, but then, I mean, you, you do have to ask about patient responsibility and mm. some other things. And, and I mean, if you look, let's even bring it back to Connecticut, you know, managing the budget and, you know, a big cost of what's happening here in Connecticut is really being driven by our healthcare costs yeah. and what's happening mm-hmm. inside of our Medicare mm-hmm. and Medicaid populations. And, you know, is this bankrupting our country? You know, and, you know, I do look at things like patient-centered medical homes and I really look at passive and active remote monitoring technology and, you know, you know, and how do we start to be more proactive and really stop managing sick care, right? And yeah. so, yeah. It, it, you know, again, 
there, these devices are spinning off amazing amounts of data, you know, so how do we start to baseline this information and how do we really start to build uh, an engagement strategy, you know, how do we get patients to the right level of care at the right time and, you know, I think uh, if you look and talk to a lot of the hospital executives, this is a brave new world for them. You know, leaving the fee-for-service world behind is is a very scary endeavor. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, when you look at what's driving our health care costs and saying 17% of our GDP is being spent on health care alone. Long-term care costs are going to oh, be outrageous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean it's, cra- it's crazy. There are single-payer health care countries that spend less money than we do. Oh, yeah. I mean, some, some countries are spending 2-3% of their GDP, yeah. you know, Know, and having better outcomes than what we're having here. So, you know, I think there's some real things in, you know, being a technologist, you know, I believe technology can help. But again, you know, it can't just be technology on its own. It's got to be people processing and technology. Yeah. I think you got to kind of wrap this all up. You got to understand the behaviors of people and building systems and solutions that work for people and with people. Well, so- social change has to go along with the technological change. You know, like there has to be some sort of kind of social change that goes on. Somebody recently asked us, why not video? And, you know, I said to them, well, there's a real simple answer to why we don't have a video conferencing tool instead for the on-demand interview instead of the 800 telephone number. And I said, you know, there's a percentage of people out there that calling a telephone number is a lot easier and you know there's no app to download there's none of and you know i i worked in building patient care solutions for a little bit when i was at merck and you know the real challenge was is getting people to adopt you know we build patient portals for displaying information but you know what would happen is is a, a patient would log into the patient portal four or five times and then disappear we couldn't keep them engaged we couldn't keep them active um, you know, we built apps on phones and, you know, they would use them six, seven, eight, 12, 20 times and disappear, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, again, what some of the lessons we learned in that was, is you got to talk to people in the right channels. You got to make it so they can adopt it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, that's why, you know, having an 800 telephone number, I mean, my mom, she just got her first iPhone. She had a flip phone up until four days ago. Nice. Okay. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, we still have country, country. We still have sections of America that are third world in a sense. I mean, there's yeah. there's areas of Maine and and areas areas in uh, mid in the Midwest that that don't have they don't even have internet access. So it's and and that's changing. You know, the rural America is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, technology is making its way. Um, we spend a lot of time up in the Berkshires, and you know, the big conversation in town right now is is the internet is coming. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it'll be nice because when I'm trying to do some work up there, I can bang out some emails and yeah. stuff like that and not have to go to the local library or hop on my cell phone. Also, it's nice to not. I mean, I, I can remember my childhood, like, uh, vacation spot. We we went up there because, I mean, one of the reasons, in the middle of nowhere, it didn't have internet. And then when they finally got a phone up there, we're like, you can call us, goddamn. <laughs> again, you know, I think. That's why, you know, as a parent, I struggle with how much technology is good technology. You know, I mean, it's very clear that, you know, my son is going to have to have skills around using technology, mm-hmm. right? But I also want him to have other skills as well, too. And, you know, we, you know, I think as a society, we're starting to kind of figure these things out. 
you know, and the, I mean, time is amazing because it fixes a lot of problems, um, you know, and we get more information and we start changing things, right? Well, that's, uh, the, in my opinion, this is how I always describe the American legal system is, is we, we led you, you know, other countries, sometimes the, the government is very active in, in how things are controlled and they monitor it and then change things. In the U.S., we draft laws, we throw them out there, we wait for lawsuits. Yeah. Once the lawsuits happen, we then re-legislate based on how to fix it. Usually that's 15, 20 years later, mm. and then we catch up. You know? Well, we're <laughs> slow to mobilize, but once we mobilize, that's right. watch out. That's <laughs> exactly it. Um, so uh, we're getting close to the point where, I need, where we need to wrap this up. Um, and, and I appreciate uh, you know, your sort of measured and, and thoughtful response to all of these uh, questions. I mean, the answer to everything to me is still nanobots. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but still, uh, Bill, if you could pass on a message to entrepreneurs out there, that you think you wish you had known or you think would be helpful, what would it be? Oh my goodness. Um, the, the main thing is, um, don't be afraid to take on risk Mm -hmm. and realize you need good teams behind you to accomplish your goals and never forget that ultimately it's the people around you that make you help make you successful and help Mm -hmm. you drive to where you want to go. You know, and, um, you know, I give a big shout out to our team. Uh, we have some amazing people and we wouldn't have been able to accomplish anything. And, you know, I really look at what we do as a paradigm shift mm-hmm. to really, um, and to, to really shift an idea and concept and thought. You, you, you need help. <laughs> and so it comes down to the people around you. So find good people. Hey, so Bill, where can people find you and voice plants? Yeah. Um, if you call, go to our website, there's an 800 telephone number. Um, that's probably the quickest, the easiest way to call into the system or, you know, hit one of our contact us forms. Um, so should, if people are looking for jobs, should they just, enter, you know, like, like people that are actually looking for you know, a new position or being connected to a company, should they just be calling in or what? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, so, you know, there's two sides, right? We got to generate the supply. And mm-hmm. then we got to, you know, work with our customers. Um, we are in the middle of launching a career portal that will have the jobs that we have available and we're, that we're working on. We are also starting to collect resumes. So we're building our own talent network. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, if you find me and you email me and we talk, we'll, we'll take your information and we can save it Very and cool. try to start playing matchmaker for you. Oni, somebody wants to check out the happiness lab. Oh, yeah. Um, 756 Chapel Street, downtown New Haven, happylifecoffee.com. Yeah. I have to that? tell you, it was awesome coffee today. Yeah. Best cup of coffee I've ever had. I was going to say, I just had a, a, a vegan donut. Where mm. were those from? Um, they're from Nature's Grocer in Vernon. They have the best oatmeal raisin cookies I've ever had. <laughs> um, they're vegan, gluten-free, but out of all cookies, they're amazing. I, did, I highly suggest you go there. Did you like it? I did like it. It was a, it was a blueberry like, yeah. glaze or something. Mm, yeah. Mm. Nice. Did it even Good convert texture. a meat eater yeah. like me? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. When I, when I heard when I heard it was vegan, I almost tried to laugh because yeah, yeah. I don't like to treat my body right. But, <laughs> I, I, I and Eric, if somebody wants to check out CT Startup, where do we go? Uh, so ctstartup.com, uh, you can get everything there. We have the CT Startup cast and on uh, Twitter, and the CT Startup podcast on Facebook. So hit us up. And we're on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you get a chance to listen, make sure you uh, download it and uh, give us a review. We really appreciate yeah. your feedback. Hey, and guys, I really want to say thank you for having me in today. Yeah, it's fun. It was fun. It was, awesome. it was a real pleasure, Bill. Nanobots. Uh, Nanobots. Nanobots. <laughs> Talk to everybody soon. Got to get smarter. <laughs>
You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Evan Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Martha Kawana, LLP.